0: So, uh, as he said, week five, Spiritual Battles, Uh, after tonight, one more to go. It's been a really good series, and uh, I've been really encouraged um, by it. Just that line, gaze at Jesus while we look at the devil, um, has really captured uh, my heart and my imagination. Uh, Before we get stuck into God's word, let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. We thank you that what you have spoken still speaks to us today. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't listen as we should. Help us all this evening to hear your word afresh. Father, please don't let the messenger get in the way of your message. Father, challenge and change us. Amen. So uh, we're going to see a picture up on the screen. And uh, I wonder if anybody knows what that is. We've got got some hands. I see there's teacher's hands going up. Um, What is it, Jackie? A fidget spinner. Here's one over here. It's a new craze. It's uh, very popular um, in schools um, and offices. It's uh, the Forbes toy. It's the Forbes office toy, of 2017. Various um, variations occupy 16 of the top 20 toys on Amazon at the moment. It's designed to help children, in particular with ADD or ADHD, uh, to stay focused and to combat distraction. It's also supposed to help stress relief. It's uh, so popular, they even have an app on your phone that you can do a fidget spinner um, on your phone. Basically, it's just three prongs with a bearing in the middle, and it spins. I've, uh, I've got one here to give as a gift. I know one of you has been dying to have one, and um, your brothers and sisters have all got one. Uh, so I went and got one for you today. Don't use it while we're busy. <laughs> uh, that might distract me a little bit. Um, They come in different shapes and sizes, different colors, different bearings. Uh, I've got one here that's got lights that flash and all that kind of stuff. And the objective is to spin it as long as you can or uh, to do some weird tricks. I showed Bruce Cameron a trick earlier this evening, and he wasn't impressed. Um, (laughs) But they're designed to combat distraction, uh, but now many schools have banned them as a distraction. Um, The things of this world can be a serious distraction to our love for our Heavenly Father. I think that's a hard truth. Um, Jesus taught it, John warns us against it, and the devil uses it to conspire and plot against us. The world can be a distraction to our faithfulness. And to battle distraction, our passage um, helps us see that we need to know and action for things. We must celebrate our salvation and our assurance. Secondly, we must not love the world. Thirdly, we must rec- uh, we're not there yet. Sorry, um, sorry, John, giving you a hard time. We must recognise the lure of the world, and lastly, we must focus on Jesus. We'll come back to them in more detail. We're going to start then with we must celebrate our salvation and assurance. We find that in verses 12 to 14. I want to read from verse 14. Basically, he repeats himself in uh, verse 14 and 15, what he says in 12 and 13. But John says this, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. The Apostle John has a pastor's heart through and through, and the language, tone, and content of his letters show that he cares deeply for his readers, and he shows great pastoral concern for them. And we see this clearly in these verses that we've just read. Before these verses, John has just encouraged the Christians to love one another, and it's a full-on hard Hitting challenge. So before John launches onto his next challenge, he takes a break for a pep talk. It's a half-time encouragement, a motivation speech to prepare them for the next challenge that's coming. It's a reminder that they don't face things alone. He wants to remind them that they can be assured of their faith, that they can be assured of their standing before the Father and eternity it's a theme that runs through the whole letter and john gives this assurance as his reason for writing take a look at 1 john chapter 5 verse 13 john says this i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god so that you may know you have eternal life John's writing to believers because he wants them to know that they have eternal life. Verse 12 to 14 should have been hugely encouraging for those he wrote this letter to, and for us who he wrote this letter for. Uh, Please note that while some have made a big deal out of the various seasons of life um, that John addresses uh, in this section, the dear children. The fathers and the young men, but all that John says to each of those categories is true for all believers. Also note that John isn't excluding women either, but rather he's using the language categories um, of the day. So whether you are young or old, male or female, if you are a believer, John is encouraging us with these words. And there are four amazing things here for us to celebrate. Firstly, John says that our sins are forgiven. That's worth celebrating. Our sin, your sins are forgiven. Nothing you have ever done, ever thought, or ever said will ever count against you. Think of your vilest offence. Thing that embarrasses you. But then don't think of it anymore. Think of it no more. Because heaven doesn't. It's blotted out, forgotten, because you are forgiven. That's a great encouragement to the believers. Hallelujah indeed. The second thing is we know him. John writes to believers and says, We know him, we know him, him. Who else do we need to know? Who else do we need to know? Who else compares? Who else even comes close? Nobody. Nobody is him. Nobody is father, friend, creator, sustainer, savior. You see, he is so marvelous that every second we are alive, is a miracle. It's by his sustaining hand. Every second he is holding the world together and making it work. It's not just physics, but his hand controlling and directing the science to ensure that every second that we live and breathe and move is a miracle. That is who we know. The third thing John says to encourage the believers is that we have overcome the evil one because of what he has done, because of the journey his son took, because a lamb was so much more than a lamb, but a lion. Because of this, we not can, but have overcome the devil. You and I have overcome the devil. The battle is won, and we can claim his victory as our own. From V-Day into eternity, the devil needs be nothing more than a crushed enemy. The fourth thing John says is that the word of God lives in you. God's agent, the Holy Spirit, representing the Holy Trinity, is in them and in us. They have overcome the evil one through the word living in them. The word able to change and strengthen their hearts. The word that was written on stone tablets, but now written on their hearts. The proclamation of the word that brings salvation, embodied in Jesus, is with them. And they are strong. They are strong because they believe all that John has said. Isn't that encouraging? That's a great half-time speech. Be good to pause and to pray. And thank God for those four things. That our sins are forgiven. That we're known by him. That we have overcome the evil one. And that the word of God is living in us. Maybe just pray quietly in your own heart. Is there someone who'd like to encourage us all by by praying for us? Father, we thank you that our sins are forgiven. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We do thank you that we know you um, Maybe only in part, but we thank you for what you've revealed of yourself to us. We thank you that in Christ we have overcome the evil one. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who is in us. So we celebrate this and we give you glory, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Eliza. You can grab a seat. It would be wrong not to say that if you aren't a believer, you don't have these you're missing out. Be good to chat to you afterwards. The first thing we should do then to battle against distractions stay faithful is to celebrate our salvation and our assurance. The second thing we should do is we must not love the world. And we see that in verse 15. John says, "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. When it comes to loving the world, we know we're in danger as a society when buying things becomes therapy, retail therapy, when buying things makes us feel good. We're so caught up in loving the world that we think the world can help us. We go to the world For therapy instead of taking it to God or to friends. It's telling because when we're in trouble, we go to the personal thing we value the most. 21st century people, we go shopping. We know we're in danger and we must be when one of the world's favorite holiday pastimes is shopping. This and other distractions of the world are very strong, pulling us away from our first love, like the church in Ephesus. And this verse, verse fifteen, is central to what Paul is saying, sorry, what John is saying. It's not that we must not love the world for not loving the world's sake, but that we must not love the world so that we can love God first. Nothing else must compete for our love. We only have space in our hearts for one true love. We think we have more, but we don't. That's why John writes this paragraph. It's a command as well as a warning. You see, we're, we're like the four-year-old whose eyes are bigger than their stomach. They think they can fit in all that ice cream, but they can't. Trust me, I know. It's quite a mess. You see, John is telling us here that, yeah, that there's space in our hearts for only one love. It's the same as what Jesus taught in Luke 16, verse 13. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, in Luke 18:24, Jesus says, "How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says this because of the, the man, the rich young ruler's response to Jesus' command in verse 22. Jesus said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 23, When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus' warning here is not just for the rich. There is a rich young ruler. In all of us, there is something that competes for our love, something that distracts us from our love of God. John says it like this in verse 15 If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Loving the world and loving the Father is incompatible. What is the world then? There are two familiar and different uses for the word world. The one we're familiar with and the one that's probably more common is to think of the people in the world. And we ought to love this world. I think that's a bit of a no-brainer. The second is the way that John uses it here and all over in his writings. The world as John uses it refers to the things that are against God. Think of John 3.16. That's the world that John is speaking about. A world that is anti-God. It refers to things that are against God, not God. A group in sinful rebellion against God. Godless, idolatrous, arrogant, and full of pride. As one commentator suggests, it is humanity united in a collective state of sinfulness. The world that John's referring to can be anything from possessions to people, attitudes and actions. It's easy, I think, to see why we mustn't love this world. (laughs) It's so hard to action. We'll see later that the lure of the world is powerful. The devil knows this and takes full advantage. The world is a powerful, determined, and dangerous distraction. Most distractions are. It's, uh, It's why we have new, stricter laws governing mobile use while driving. The penalty for using a mobile phone while driving has doubled to 200 pounds and six penalty points on your license. If you've been driving for less than two years, they'll take your license away from you. Hands-free and the use of navigation apps can be used if the phone is mounted um, into a holder. But if you get pulled over, and they determine that it is a distraction, you can still be fined. The rule of thumb is that motorists must not touch their phone while driving and not look at their phone unless they're using it for navigation. The law is stricter because distraction costs lives. Just like the Israelites had to fight distraction uh, from the pagan nations around them, we must fight distraction of the world that we live in. To battle against distraction and stay faithful we must celebrate the assurance that we have and the salvation that we have. We must not love the world. And thirdly, we must recognize the allure of the world. And we see that in verse 16. John says For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Creation is beautiful, and there are good, wonderful things in creation. Sometimes it's breathtaking. We can enjoy so much of the good in the world. Companionship, security, intimacy, joy, nature, beauty. The devil is no fool and knows that the world is attractive, and he seduces people with it. The problem is not the world but our attitude towards it. You see, somebody once said, the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. John says that there are three things in the world that we should flee from. We should flee from the lust of flesh. I think a better translation is that we should flee from the cravings of sinful man. We should flee from the lust of his eyes, and the pride of life, which again I think is better translated as boasting of what he has and does. Three things cravings of sinful man, lust of his eyes, and boasting in what he has and does. Again, don't think that John is excluding women. Both men and women, again young and old, are just as much in danger of distraction by the world. The cravings of sinful man or the lust of the flesh includes all our general sins, thought, actions, and words. Many of these sins we don't flee from, but we entertain them. We enjoy them, nurture them, and we don't want to flee from them. We don't want them to end. Perhaps we keep them locked up Not to keep them away from us, but to release them when we crave it. It's a distraction. The advertising world relies on the lust of our eyes, desiring beautiful things that don't belong to us. It's the 10th commandment. Do not covet. We're distracted by outward beauty and the superficial The lust of our eyes are for things we don't have. The pride of life for the things we do have. They're different angles on the same distraction. Finding beauty in things other than God. Loving things other than God. You see, the devil knows that the way to our vulnerable hearts is through our wandering eyes. You see, when Eve saw the apple, she saw that it looked good. When Achan nicks the goods from Jericho, he saw that they were good and pleasing to his eyes. When David sees Bathsheba, he thinks she is beautiful. See, the devil knows the way to our vulnerable hearts is our wandering eyes. There are many things we can and should enjoy in the world, but there's a fine line between enjoyment and lust. I remember an advert in South Africa where this guy is walking up along a fence, brushing up a wall as close as he can, and there's a Doberman on the other side. And this bloke is teasing the dog, and the dog's going absolutely crazy on the other side. The advert changes when they get to the gate. The gate is open. The advert ends with this guy running down the street and this Doberman chasing after him. You see, we do the same. We get as close to the world as we can and the things of the world. And before we know it, we're in trouble running down the street loving something other than our Heavenly Father. Can we pause and think what in the world is your distraction? It's been hard this week thinking what my distraction is. What is it that the devil is using to prize us away from loving the Father? I think we each know what it is. I don't think it's a surprise. I think we know what our worldly distractions are. It's not just limited to wealth and material things. Looking around and and thinking of people I know, and uh, looking in at my own heart, the things of the world include relationships, money, success, your family, your garden, your car, your boat. Somebody once said a man thinks he's arrived. The best day of his life is when he buys a boat, but the best day of his life is when he sells it. Work. Maybe it's church. Could it be ministry? Fitness. Singing. Art. Your health. Your studies. Perhaps sport. Your hobby, your looks, fashion, your home, gaming, holidays, or music. It's a long list and it goes on. They're all good things, but potentially they're a distraction. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Remember, it's not the things themselves that are wrong. Paul says to Timothy, um, the problem's not money, but the love of money that is the problem. Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, the love of money is a distraction and some as a consequence have wandered from the faith. The stakes are high. Jesus takes distractions seriously. Mark nine forty seven. And if your eye causes you to stumble, if your eye is a distraction, if your eye causes you to see distraction, pluck it out. Because it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. The stakes are high, and I think, I think we need to apply the RYR test, the rich, young, ruler test. Ask yourself, is there something in the world that you couldn't give up? Could I invest less time in it? What is the thing right now that you know is a distraction? Maybe you're not convinced there's a distraction in your life. If you cannot give it up, that is your distraction. You see, we need to do the equivalent of plucking it out, getting rid of it or changing our attitude towards it. To battle against distraction and stay faithful, we must celebrate our salvation and our assurance. We must not love the world and we must recognize the allure of the world. But lastly and crucially, verse 17 helps us with this. It says we should focus on Jesus. The whole way through 1 John, obedience to God, doing Uh, The word of God is synonymous with loving him. We're not to love the world because we must love our heavenly father. Love of the world distracts us from loving our father. It's not that the world can be a distraction. The world is a distraction. The opposite of distraction is focus the best way to avoid distraction is focus a mighty racehorse as it thunders down the final straight looks straight ahead at the finish line with blinkers and the blinkers help battle peripheral uh, distractions but the clear focus straining at what is ahead that is what keeps the horse running straight and true and hard it's the finish line In the same way, we can try and block out the world with blinkers. We can try and avoid the world. We can try and pretend that it's not there. But the distraction of the world is strong because the things of the world are so beautiful. It would be silly to fool ourselves into thinking that the world isn't beautiful. We need to focus on something more beautiful. Through the series, Mark has been saying, look at the devil, but gaze at Jesus. As we gaze at Jesus, we focus on him. And as the chorus says, the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. I didn't realize that it was the whole song, but it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4:18. He says, "So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." We need to fix our eyes not on the things of this world, but on what is to come. Glorious eternity with Jesus. The seen things of the world are temporary. They're beautiful. Their beauty distracts us from a greater beauty, a beauty we cannot conceive. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. If we're to keep that command, we need to get rid of any distraction. To battle against distraction, we must stay, And sorry, to battle distraction and stay faithful. We must celebrate our salvation and assurance. We must not love the world. We must recognize the allure of the world. And we must focus on the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we think of these things this evening and it feels like such a hard truth. Father, in each of us there is something that is distracting us from loving you fully. Lord, help us to know what it is. Help us to pluck it out and to deal with it in a way that will put you first. We thank you for the beauty of this world and ask that it won't be a stumbling block, that it won't get in the way of our love for you. Thank you that the Lord Jesus is more glorious and beautiful than anything we can conceive and anything we can have or desire in this world. Amen.